You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. We are in a new series looking at prayer called Jesus Teaches How to Pray. And we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, 53 words of the Lord's Prayer that will transform our worlds. This is Jesus teaching his disciples, now Jesus teaching us how to pray. And last week we looked at the who, we looked at the approach of prayer, we looked at um, seeing God as a good father, and that we have the same access as Jesus did to our Heavenly Father. And knowing his name means you know his nature, and therefore you know just how good he is. And so today, we're looking at the next part of the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be looking at the motive for prayer. So last week, the approach of prayer, now the motive for prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. James chapter 4, verse 3 says this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And so it's really important, isn't it, church, that we get our motives and our hearts right when it comes to prayer. And so once we have this knowledge and this understanding of who we're praying to in terms of our Father, it's then we have this almost demand, this announcement, this imperative, Lord, let your kingdom come. You are the king, so now let your rule, let your reign come As it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. Wow, what a prayer. I prayed that a lot this week. Every time I've been in a place of temptation, every time I'm struggling, every time I've got a difficult circumstance, situation, I'm saying, Lord, let your kingdom come in this situation, in my life, in my heart. And I found this is that the more you pray this prayer and make it a habit of your life, the more God coincidences seem to happen. It's like you just bump into God's amazing global plan just as you're going about your everyday life. I think it was last week we found ourselves again in the beautiful town of Cleethorpes. And I'm still awaiting for someone to come up to me and say, I want to plant a church in Cleethorpes. And, uh, and so we're there. We only went in one shop. And I knew as soon as I went in that shop and uh, the one of our kids was having a meltdown outside, I knew it was a mistake. And I just felt God was going to set me up here. And I was getting ready to give the gospel and to tell the the shop owner about Jesus. And so I I, I didn't say anything because I'm like, I'm having a few hours off. If you want to make this happen, Lord, you'll make it happen, but I'm going to keep my head down. But the store owner came after me and he said, I want to know what do you do? That's the first thing he said, what do you do? I said, oh no. <laughs> I'm a milkman. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor of a church. He said, oh, which church? I said, the vineyard. And he said, wow, that's amazing. I'm a recent convert. And I got converted at Trent Vineyard in Nottingham. And uh, I said, right, tell me about your story. He said, yeah, so I was, I've been part of a rehab, which I know a number of us have connection with called Battelle. And my life was a mess. 
I was caught up in cycles of addiction. And now uh, I run the shop. And Jesus has saved me. And it was just an amazing story. And you could just see, this. you can always tell with this, these people, is that you could see the scars of life. And yet in their eyes, completely changed. There's like this glint, this light that come into their eyes. And so um, I said, okay, cool. And then he said, and the thing is, I'm, I'm now selling up. And I'm moving to Cornwall. And I'm going to be teaching illustration at the University of Cornwall. Oh, what a life that's been transformed and turned around. And I said, I said, do you know what's really weird? His name's Patrick. I said, I've been obsessively looking at going camping in Cornwall the last 24 hours. I've never been to Cornwall. I've never thought about going camping ever. <laughs> and... I'm still not going to Cornwall, and I'm still not going camping, but for the last 24 hours, I've just been going on website after website looking at camping in Cornwall. And I actually think this was for you, because he was full of anxiety about going. He was going to leave his daughter, and it's a nine-hour trip from Cleethorpes to Cornwall. And so I was able to say, I really feel like this is an ordained God move for you, and God will look after you in the future, as he's done in the past. And began to pray and prophesy over him. It was just an amazing moment. Anyway, this week, my wife and I meet some pastors in a coffee shop in Lincoln. And I'm telling one of the pastors about this. And there's some kind of link, which is why I shared it. And they said, oh, was his name Patrick? I said, yeah. He said, he was in this coffee shop yesterday in Lincoln. How weird is that? And I think actually maybe God might be stirring something today about Batel, something to do with rehab. I think we should lean into some of that stuff. And, and if that hits and connects with you, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But that's just a, a regular story that happens frequently when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. It might just be in the quietness of your heart, Lord, let your kingdom come. And you could just be out and about. And God is orchestrating his huge global plans and outworking them through our local expression of community. He is so, so good. And it's just really amazing when we pray, God coincidences happen. I want to paint a hypothetical um, picture for you. If the UK, I'm not prophesying here, okay, don't send me any emails. But if the UK was invaded tomorrow, let's say by a hostile um, atheist regime where that's the case in so many parts of the world where our brothers and sisters are being persecuted for their faith, where Christianity is outlawed, you're not allowed to have a Bible, churches are closed. Let me ask you a question, what would you pray? If this was to happen, what would you pray? What would sustain your faith? What would sustain your life? And we're not there now, but we might be one day in the future. But let me tell you where we are right now. We're living, as I said last week, in a change of era. We're living in a, a post-pandemic society where crisis has been exposed and accelerated for many of us. We're in a post-Christian society. Um, we're in an economic downturn. There's multiple crises from identity to war to racial injustice to inequality regarding 
well to the challenges of the, the environment, uh, boundaryless expressions of sexual identity and relationships. And then we have the church. And I read that this uh, in the Telegraph this week. It says this, at a time when society is increasingly turning against Christians for their beliefs, they will find little sanctuary in the Church of England. Three of my best friends are vicars in the Church of England. It is a tough time to be a vicar in the Church of England. They're all ringing me saying, can we join the vineyard? (laughs) And so we must pray for the Church of England. But what a sad commentary is that the perspective is, is that it's tough to be a Christian in our society, which it is, but would we even find God in church? That's worrying. That that is the perspective. And there are blurred lines between the world and the church. And of course, we have the crisis of leadership in the church. But what's exciting, and I'm more convinced than ever, that when these times happen, is the church gets desperate. As Fee mentioned just then about we're praying, we're leaning in for revival, for an awakening. I believe that something is stirring amongst the church. There's a growing thirst and hunger for him that God hasn't finished with us yet, that God is renewing his church in our time and in our day, that something is birthing among us. And this is true for our church, stunning stories of hope and momentum emerging amongst us. And God is doing in that process a refining work in the church. It's like God is performing a, I don't know if if this is an English phrase, maybe it's because my wife's American, but a yard sale in the church. I think he's using this time to clear out some nonsense to prepare the way for a move of the Holy Spirit. Unhealthy forms of leadership predicated on pride and platform and abuses of power He's dealing with stuff in our lives and our hearts that will not allow us just to sit on the fence. Let me give you a kind of a prophetic picture. A few weeks ago, um, my, my right knee went, and it turns out I have some ligament issues. And uh, when I went to the, see the physio, they said, yes, you do have significant issues with your knee and your other knee and your Achilles, and both your hamstrings and the left-hand side of your back. And I'm like, I'm paying for this. (laughs) Well, it's the good news. And she said this, she said, your knees are a slave to the rest of your body. In other words, your knees are just symptomatic. They're just telling you that something isn't right at a root cause level. And it's like your knees are the final thing to give way. And so I'm going on this journey. But when I was considering this, I felt like God wanted to speak into this, that we often ask for the Lord to deal with our hearts and our lives and to bring his refining work so that we look like Jesus. And we just want him to deal with our knees. But actually in this season, he's going deeper He's going to all those uncomfortable areas. He's going to those areas that we didn't even think we had a problem. We thought we were sorted in that area and then he shines a light on 
some of our thinking, some of our heart motivations, some of our lifestyle, some of our choices, some of our relationships, some of our broken forms of identity, some historical stuff. And he begins to shine the light on that. And he wants to deal with those things. And actually, we as a church, we need to find our knees again in prayer. We need to discover our knees and we need to discover our voice. Because actually when we come to a place of desperation like this, it's actually God stirring in us a hunger and thirst for him in prayer. A dependence in prayer. And so I think, church, it's a time, a season, which is why I think this is the first time we've ever done this. We've continued with our prayer meetings throughout August. It's a time to get on our knees and to repent and to pray. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I think even some of you, it's like a grief cycle. Maybe you're still bargaining with God. Maybe this last week, you're hearing this invitation to pray, and you're still like, can I get there some other way? And still maybe some of the problems persist, some of the discomfort persists. And God is hemming us in before and behind. And he's trying to get our attention, and he's saying, come to me in prayer. I am the solution. I am the answer. And so this is a great time for the church to be alive. I don't think there's been a better time. Many people are in a, a place of despair, but when I see despair, actually what God is doing is bringing about opportunity. That If you look at the history of revivals, God seems to do things right after the church comes to its lowest point. And God is calling us to prayer. It's interesting, Journey Pray, just at the end there, the worship about taste and see that the Lord is good. I think that's the invitation and the heart of God. But often we turn things around, we see and taste in the world. We see what's going on, we absorb it, taste it, and then we interpret life based on what we taste and see. And actually the kingdom mindset is to flip that around. We don't look and taste what's happening around the world and interpret life through that filter and through that perspective, but actually we taste of God in prayer. We encounter him, we meet him, we're filled with his power and presence, and then we're able to see with a kingdom perspective. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we need a kingdom perspective. And so our motive needs to be a kingdom motive. So here's a kind of the calculation, the rule of thumb. Um, this is how it works, the principle that God wants us to grasp, that where God's kingdom comes, his will is done. And if you want to know what his will looks like, it looks like his kingdom coming. That, that line there is saying the same thing is when we're praying, God, let your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, let your will be established, let your purpose and plans be established. We're saying, Lord, will your will come in this situation? What it will look like is his rule and reign, his kingship coming into our lives. 
The motive, the kingdom motive, is for God's plans, God's purposes, God's ways to be established, not ours. And so here's the crux of this prayer. This is where it comes to a bit of a crossroads for us, is you cannot pray that prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, without a prayer of relinquishment to your will. We love to sing, let your kingdom come. We love to pray, let your kingdom come. We love the idea of God's kingdom coming. But actually, when we pray that, when we believe that, when we mean that, we want to live lives that represent that, it also means we've got to die to our own kingdoms. We've got to die to our own will and desires. We are praying that God's kingdom comes, not that we build our kingdom. And so this is our number one priority. It's the promotion of God's reputation. No, we said last week, hallowed be your name. It's saying, Lord, when we say, let your kingdom come, we're praying that God's reputation is the first thing we want in our lives. It's the advancement of God's rule. Let your kingdom come. It's the performance, the outworking, the action of God's rule. Let your will be done. So what is the kingdom of God? When we pray this, we want to know what is the kingdom of God. And in April, if you look at our podcast, Rachel did a a great theological job on uh, the kingdom of God. So I won't reiterate what she said. I encourage you to listen to that. But very simply, the kingdom of God is this. It's what happens when Jesus is in charge. When Jesus is running the show, when he's in charge, when he's in control, when he's in the driver's seat, that's what the kingdom coming means. The kingdom came in Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the kingdom. He is the king. And so when we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, we're saying, look, Lord, you are here to have your way in our situation, in our circumstance, in this church, in our community, in our city, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And this is a real prayer of courage. It's a prayer for regime change, that the kingdoms of this world crumble when the kingdom of God is being established and growing. The kingdoms of this world will always pass. I, I read that in history there have been about 21 world civilizations that have come and gone. After you see God raise up a leader, there's triumph, but with triumph comes pride. With pride, sin enters, and then with sin there's a separation away from blessing upon a nation or, or whatever. And so where these world civilizations come and go, where these kingdoms come and go, and all you have to do is read the news, watch the news, and see kingdoms that are coming and going, it will always be like this. And yet God's kingdom just grows and grows and grows. Over 100,000 people every single day throughout the earth giving their lives to Christ. Doesn't matter what the culture says, what the society says, who's in charge, God will find a way. And in fact, some of the most significant moves of God right now are happening behind closed doors where Christians have been persecuted for their faith. God will find a way, and we're part of an unseen, unshakable kingdom. 
Whereas the kingdoms of this world are shakeable. The kingdoms of this world are seen. They're visible. They're there to threaten you. And we have this even in church. And in church, we will have denominations that will come and go. We'll have moves that will come and go. We'll have churches that come and go. They will rise and fall. But the kingdom of God will just rise and rise and rise. And we're part of this. We're part of this story. We're part of this narrative. We're part of this script. We're part of a cause beyond ourselves. Karl Barth said this, to clasp the hands in prayer. Think about this when we join together tomorrow night to pray. When we clasp our hands in prayer, it is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So where we see disorder, God is bringing a reordering of things through his kingdom. What does it mean when his kingdom comes? It means resurrection. It means life. It means victory, triumph, healing, justice, mercy, deliverance, change. That's what Jesus brings when his kingdom comes. And the kingdom of God has its own laws and methods and power and is the complete opposite to the methods and the powers and the laws of this world. It's an upside down kingdom. And sadly the church has got dragged into doing church and indeed leadership and life like the world. And it doesn't look a lot like Jesus. It's an upside down kingdom where the way up is the way down. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least. If you want to be first, you have to be the last. That the access to power is through meekness, which is restrained, controlled strength and power. It's through an admission of your weakness so that the glory and the treasure of Christ will shine through this earthen vessel. It's where those on the margins are in. It's about character, not gift. It is the way of Christ. So the personal question for all of us this morning is God's kingdom and will being formed in my life right now? Is that a reality for us? Is God ruling and reigning in and through me today? Is he ruling and reigning over my heart and my life? Is my time really submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Are my finances really submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Is my sex life really submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Our parenting, our speech, our relationships, our singleness, our entertainment choices, our work. If we were to put it through that Matthew 6 filter, which says this, that the key really to deal with worry and anxiety and to bring order into your life is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Are we seeking first, first place, God's rule and reign, his lordship over every part of our lives? That's a challenge to our, all of our hearts and I think the, the number one opposition and barrier to the kingdom of God in our lives is to bow down to the kingdom of self. Let's go back. I said at the beginning, 
is that when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, Jesus, take charge. If you're running the show here, take charge. Whatever you want, is that as we pray that, we're simultaneously saying, Lord, I die to self. It's a prayer of relinquishment. And I think the kingdom of self is in our society, but also, let's be honest, for us as disciples, is the greatest challenge for us all. And if we really want to see the kingdom of God break through and break in, the kingdom of self. It's kind of like this Western heresy where it's all about finding you, finding me, my truth, my way, and that rules. And we talk about this, and unfortunately we talk a lot about it in the church where we say that more self-esteem is the key to self-fulfillment and happiness. If, if you can just build yourself up, you will have true fulfillment in your life. Now, of course, there are aspects of truth to this. Jesus said we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We must have um, a sober, healthy view on ourselves. But if you want to truly discover who you are and what you are planned, what God decided for you when he created you, that this is what you will do in your life, his plans and his purposes, you do not ever start with yourself, you start with him. People only truly, really discover who they are when they first understand and start and begin everything with him. Rick Warren wrote one of the most successful books ever called The Purpose Driven Life. Have you heard of that, The Purpose Driven Life? And he says this great sweeping theological statement at the beginning before he gets into anything, discovering your, your gifts, your talents, your shape, what you were made for by God. And it's this, it's not about you. That was the foundation. It's not about you. Where we live in a world where we say it is all about you, counterculturally for the Christian is we begin, it's not about me, it's about God. I want you to know, and this is really key, that he says, let your kingdom come, actually not in my life, I know that's the implication, but he says, on earth. So you can pray for God's kingdom to come in your life and actually not be too happy with some of the results. And that's because God is orchestrating a plan on earth. And we, as followers of Jesus, just need to get caught up with his great plan on earth. And when it doesn't look like the desire that we had in our hearts and the want that we had in our hearts, we just go, do you know what? It doesn't start with me anyway. It starts with God. His kingdom and rule and reign is being established on earth. I just need to get with the program. The more we connect actually with his story and his script, the more free we actually become. Tim Keller called it this, it's only Tim Keller could come with this, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Freedom of self-forgetfulness. We stop connecting every conversation, everything we read on social media, Everything that happens in a room, every bit of drama, we stop connecting all of that to us. 
because we're part of a bigger cause. I heard this is about 180 million causes in the world right now. And I'm sure a number of those we're passionate about, I'm sure we all have passions in this room for various causes. But our job has been made a little bit easier in that God has given us our marching orders and it is the kingdom of God. That his cause trumps all other causes. And so by disobeying ourselves, by denying ourselves, by agreeing with the Holy Spirit that we no longer march the futile drumbeat of our inflated self, is that we then begin to walk in this grand story that God has for us. And I was thinking about the enemy's attempts to usurp Christ's authority in the wilderness. One of the um, accounts is in, is in Luke chapter 4. I encourage you to read that. And there's a scale to it. And it gives you a clue of how the enemy will try and draw you away from the kingdom being expressed in your life, from Christ's authority being established in your life. And they're kind of like three types of temptation, sometimes difficult to understand, but three types of diversions. So you're made for God, and you're made for his kingdom, and yet these diversions come. And it's interesting, if I look at this, is that the first temptation for Jesus was to turn the stone into bread. In other words, and there's lots of layers to this, but at the most basic level of temptation is make the satisfaction of sensual desire the central good in your life. That's basically the appeal there. The second thing, he shows him the kingdoms of the world and says, all this can be yours. What is that? It's worldly power. Then he gets him to go on top of the corner of a temple, it's the highest point, and basically he's tempted to throw himself off and the angels will come and um, catch him. And Basically the point where everybody can see me, everybody can notice me. What is that? It is glory and honor. Narcissism in our world. Do you know that all three temptations are essentially about placing yourself and usurping God as king in your life. The greatest threat to the kingdom of God in our lives is the kingdom of self, and all three temptations in our lives, whether it comes through pride or lust or greed, will be the appeal to replace God as king, to us as king. I heard this lovely phrase, just someone just said it, and I thought, I've never heard that in my life. It was this, if the enemy can't hold you back, the enemy will always push you forward. If the enemy can't hold you back in life, the enemy will always push you forward. Glory, honor, pride, self, these are the temptations of the flesh. And so if we want the kingdom to come, we need to relinquish our wills to God that he is first place and in a sense all we're doing is we're just falling into line to the big scheme of things because all of history is actually moving towards the rule and reign of Christ I I think I said this last week one day 
every knee will bow and recognize Christ as who he is. And in this life, we get the choice whether we bow the knee to him today. But one day, this will happen for every single person. And so the whole of history, the whole script of our world is going towards then. And I just think, why, why be distracted? Why go on to another agenda and another purpose other than this, when this is what we were made to do? And so finally, how does the kingdom advance? I just want to finish with kind of three bullet points. When we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First of all, mission. And this is why we're taking this year to really focus on mission. Is that when we pray that, we're saying, Lord, for the sake of one person who will turn to you, I will reorder the priorities and rhythms of my heart and life so that it is not a barrier to one person coming into the kingdom. I wonder what filter you have as to why should we live right? Why should we have integrity and pursue holiness and purity in our day and age? Why, why do it? Well, there's a number of reasons. First of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're actually now made to do that because the Spirit of God is in you and conforming you to the likeness of his Son. Secondly, we want to do it ultimately for the glory and honor of God. Thirdly, because we want to set a good example to like our kids and to the people around us. And we want to not be found out with our hypocrisy. We want to live authentic Christian lives and all these things. But if none of that does it for you, how about this? That the one person in your neighborhood, the one person at your workplace, the one person who doesn't know Jesus in your family, wherever it is that I'm going to live like Jesus for the sake of not being a barrier to that one person. So I'm going to be really careful actually what I write on social media. I'm going to be really careful what I say to that person. I'm going to be really careful how I live my life because I never want to be a barrier to that person discovering the kingdom of God. And we're saying, Lord, when we're praying your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, in your mercy, in your grace, please, please turn one more person to you. That's what we're praying for. When we gather to praise church, that's what we're praying. The second thing is we're praying sanctification. Lord, make me like you. Lord, let your kingdom come. We don't just want to take the land for Jesus and go on marches through the city of Hull with our placards. We, first of all, we'll always say as a church, take the land in my own heart every single day with everything that I do. Sanctification. Calvin said there are two ways sanctification happens. First of all, by the Spirit who corrects our desires. So we must have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And secondly, through the Word which shapes our thoughts. The combination, the power of the Word and the Spirit in our lives. So when the kingdom comes, not just through salvation, but through sanctification. Thirdly, we're actually praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, not just now, but also in the future. In other words, Jesus, please come back. <laughs> there should be a homesickness in our souls for the return of Christ. Lord, we are fed up with the sin. We are fed up with the tyranny 
that is promoted by the false kingdoms of this world. Lord, please, Maranatha, return. Please return. But in his mercy, for the sake of the one, he relents. And the church is all about how can we reach the one. And so, when we pray, often, I don't know if what your prayer life is like, but often my prayers are like this. God, please airlift me out of this situation. Okay, let's be honest. Get me out of here. I'm a, I'm a pastor, get me out of here. <laughs> but actually, when we say, Lord, let your kingdom come, we're praying that his kingdom comes, his will is done, and we are parachuted down into real life situations. We want to escape. The kingdom says, get involved. And so worship is never us just singing a few nice songs to God at the beginning of a a Sunday, but worship is about mission and work. Worship God is that when we're deeply involved with people's lives, washing the feet of the broken and the lonely. And that's when God's kingdom comes. So for those guys who are just serving all this week at our amazing ministries, we want to say thank you. And every time you do that, you are ushering in the rule and reign of God. If you guys who are serving a three-course meal tomorrow, I want you to think when you're giving that soup or you're giving that roast dinner or whatever, and you're presenting it to them, the kingdom is coming. And when you say, can I pray for you? Can I share some of my story? The kingdom is coming. That's what we are believing for. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.